This hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining us. Great episode today. It is with Patrick Kotner. But first, a little business. We posted the July Fest submission blog on the website, so go to thereitispod.com. If you want to know what fest you can submit to in the month of July... And lastly, can you help us out with something? Every year there's like a podcast People's Choice Awards, and it's called Podcast Awards, and you can go to podcastawards.com and nominate us. Brother of the Show did, which I very much appreciated. He submitted us in a few categories, and I humbly ask if you could do the same. Basically, you go to podcastawards.com, and there's a little blue button that says Nominations Voting Now Open, and it will be open until July 31st. And you click there to vote, and you put in some info, you know, your name and, and whatnot, and your biggest podcast influencer, if you could say Jason Farr, that would be nice, but you don't have to. I put Mark Marin uh, because he is my biggest uh, when it comes to interviews. I love him. But Scott... Ackerman and Conan O'Brien also up there, but I, I put in Mark Marin, and then after you put it in biggest podcast influencer, you'll say I am a listener, and um, you can submit us to these five categories that brother of the show submitted us to: the Adam Curry People's Choice Award, Best Male Hosted Podcast, Best Black Hosted Podcast, Comedy Category, and Rob has a podcast Entertainment Category. No, not Best Friend of the Show, Rob. A different Rob that I don't know. And put in, there it is. Uh, it might be a drop down, actually. So there it is will come up. Please, if you can, nominate us for that. The link will be in the bio for it. And we're also going to put a blog up on thereitispod.com detailing how to do it with a pick. So if the way I explained this didn't help, well, there's, there's going to be a blog explaining it a little better. All right. Well, let's get to today's episode. It is with a talent booker and talent producer and just a producer all around. He's worked on Chris Gethard's show, Sesame Street, SNL, UCB, tons of stuff, tons of stories. He gets into all of them. It's a really great chat and fun one. Here's my chat with Patrick Kotner. You have been living in New York for over a decade now. Yeah. When you started going to college here, how quickly were you starting to get involved at UCB or, or the comedy world and, and everything here? Yeah, I mean, I I sort of knew it existed when I moved here. I didn't know uh, really what it was, but I had a general idea. And there was a girl I went to high school with. Shout out to Brianna Sampson. That's who I'm shouting yeah. out right now. Yeah. I think it was... I want to say it was my second week going to school here. She goes, oh, we should go to this uh, comedy theater I go to because she was going to Wagner out in Staten Island. And it was like instantly one of those things where I was like, oh, I guess this is just like what I do now. You know, it was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I guess this is where I hang out. This is, uh, you know, where I spend my weekends. Um, and then, I mean, basically, it seems like every weekend from then on, pretty much, 
I was there going to one show or the other. Usually it was ASCAT, but um, I think the first show I saw was uh, the show called Ruben Williams, which was Anthony King and a bunch of other people. Um, and I was just, you know, I was hooked and it wasn't something I, I had performed in high school. I was in like the drama club and stuff, but I was sort of, I'd gotten that out of my system. I felt like um, I didn't really want to do that anymore. So it was definitely a weird thing where I wanted to be involved, but not necessarily performing up there. Okay. Um, and yeah. I feel like that's a rare thing at that theater. Uh, I do. And I, I feel like that's almost rare anywhere. Almost. Yeah. For yeah. To have the interest uh, to be involved. Yeah. But to not, but specifically not as a performer is uh, yeah. a first for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, I think that was weird for a lot of people there. I didn't really get involved at that theater specifically. I was not doing stuff there. I mean, really, in any form until I started doing ASCAT, which was 2014. Mm -hmm. uh, but I started working on the Chris Gethard show in 2011. So it was about a year into it. And that was pretty much exclusively uh, with UCB performers and stuff like that. Um, so I was still in that, you know, circle of people yeah. and in that in that atmosphere by working on that show. Yeah, you mentioned Chris Gethard, and you've already mentioned UCB as well. You've had an illustrious career. Uh, <laughs> you've done such awesome work, and uh, I mean, and really from so many different ends because you have the pedigree of things like Saturday Night Live and Chris Gethard mm -hmm. and UCB. So from in the the comedy world, super legit, and then also outside of the comedy world, you've worked at CNBC and Sesame yeah. Street. Uh, yeah, it sounds yeah. like the first place you were working at was the Chris Gethard show, though. Uh, let's see. Boo, 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 boo. Yeah, I guess so. It was probably the first place. I, I was interning a bunch of places in college, so that's where the SNLs and the Sesames and all that come in. I was you know, trying to do as many internships as I could because yeah. school was not super uh, entertaining to me. I was more using it as an excuse to just be in the city, you know, yeah. uh, to like be around the people who were doing the things that I wanted to do. Um, but I think Gethard probably came first and then the other internships sort of followed suit after that. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I would say Gethard yeah. was probably first. Yeah. And how did you get involved? Or was that a, an internship or, or? Yeah. I mean, I knew who he was because I had seen him doing ASCAT. Uh, and then I was home for the summer. I had, you know, moved out of my dorm and stuff after freshman year. And I saw that he had started doing his show on public access. And I moved back to the city maybe like four or five weeks after that and brought some friends uh, from college to go see it. And again, it was one of those things where I went to one and I was like, oh, I guess I just come here every week. Like, I guess this is just what I do. And it was so small at that point. There were so few people who were actually involved in the show and, and watching the show and like in the audience of the show. Where in my crazy little 19-year-old head, I was like, oh, I should just work on this. I should just ask them if I can work on this, which is not really how most places work. Like, you don't just go up to someone and say, can I work on this? And they say, yeah, show up next week. Right, uh, I it, but it that way. <laughs> I know, it would make life so much easier. And, it, you know, it works... It works sometimes like that. Like if yeah. you get really lucky and you meet the right person, you know, or, or the right group of people, uh, it can work out that way. But this one was very strange um, because at that point, and I think, uh, I don't think this is uh, speaking out of school or that Gethard or anybody would get mad at it. No one really gave a shit about the show at that point because it was a few weeks into it. So it was still like finding its audience. Right. You know, people were still discovering that it existed. Mm -hmm. Um 
so I started, I was just doing whatever they needed me to do. You know, it was like picking up chairs, you know, setting up the stage before the show, like truly just the gruntiest of grunt works, like whatever, whatever, whatever they wanted. And eventually, you know, I, uh, you know, ran the email and I was do answering phones uh, live on the air, you know, to get people to call in and stuff like that. Uh, and then for the last, like, geez, probably like 100 episodes or something, maybe um, I was one of the two camera operators for the show. So it was truly just like it was all hands on deck, everybody <laughs> doing whatever. Ill. Yeah, it sounds from absolutely everything I've heard about it, just the vibe I get from that show was very much like everyone's just doing whatever needs to get done. Yes. And and <laughs> and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, you know. Right. And I think you got that vibe on the show where like the yeah. show would start and he would just be like, Nothing is ready. Why is nothing working? And it was like, because we're all 19 or 20 years old and like trying to figure out how to run a TV station with no help. That was basically uh how it you know, it was it was the real life Muppet Show with everyone just like insane trying to trying to make stuff hold together with with duct tape. You know, that's hilarious that uh, you refer to it as the, the Muppet Show, but real life. Um, yeah. Also, like going back to Sesame Street, then was that mm-hmm. an internship? And and what exactly were you doing there? Yeah, that was an internship. I I had. I've always been a big Muppet and Sesame fan. Um, I used to want to, you know, uh, be a puppeteer when I was a kid. It was like one of those like dream things when you're a kid, you're like, that's what I want to do. That's exactly mm-hmm. what I want to do. And I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I feel like it, it sort of ties into meeting the right people. Uh, like what I said, it, when I was like 12, uh, this guy, Carol Spinney, who was the guy who played Big Bird and Oscar for like 50 years, he wrote a book and he was um, doing like a Q&A at UConn because uh, they have a puppetry school there. And my mm-hmm. parents were like, oh, we should go. We should go see this guy. Yeah, because you're and from I, Connecticut. And I'm from Connecticut. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was like less than an hour away. It was like very convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, you know, a little kid, 10, 12 years old, something like that. And I asked, I was like, uh, uh, do you guys ever give tours of the set? That was my question during the Q&A. And he said, no, not really, but you got to know somebody. And he like gave a little wink, you know? <laughs> and I guess... Somehow he and my dad connected before we left. Like we went through and met him and everything. And he and my dad connected and like passed along each other's info. And I got a postcard like inviting me to come see the Sesame Street set when I was a kid. It was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. And I like met a bunch of people. Yeah. It all worked out really great. Met a bunch of people, went back a few more times, uh, you know, throughout like middle and high school and stuff. And it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, I still want to work here. This is what I want to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I was moving to the city, I reached out to one of the people I had met, one of the other puppeteers, and I was like, who do I, who do I talk to? What can I do to, you know, do an internship here? And he put me in touch with the right person. And I ended up uh, working there for a year and it was at work, you know, interning there. Um, It was, it was still work for a year. And it was great. Like you got to, you know, we were on set a little bit, we were in the offices a little bit, but it was, it was putting together the DVD releases that they would put out and like finding, finding clips to use and making like a, a character Bible for people to use in case they don't know who, you know, forgetful Jones is some character <laughs> that hasn't been used in 30 years. You put this in here. Uh, but then we were also, you know, on set and they were shooting. I was there like, I was there the last time that Frank Oz has performed on Sesame oh, street. Wow. Like, the last time Jerry Nelson, who was the guy who did the count before he passed away, I was there for. It was like a lot of like very important seminal things that you don't realize at the time. And now you're looking back and you're like, oh, wow, it was actually, oh, there was a lot so going on. 
so that last time Frank Oz was there, just because you were a college kid, you it wasn't yeah. resonating with you the same way that it would well, now. Yeah, I'm, well, no, but I didn't know it would be the last time that he would do stuff because oh, he hasn't so. done anything there since 2012, I guess, or whatever. Oh, so it and wasn't those, like a like, big send-off. No, it was oh. just, they just haven't, he hasn't come in and done anything. It was just like, he may again at some point, but at mm. uh, up until now, it is currently the last time he has done something. So that's wow. very, it's wild. It's like a yeah. crazy thing to have, you know, and, and when he was there, I don't even know if I was working those days, but I was like, I'm I'm coming in, you know. I'm coming in, whether I'm working or not. I just want to come watch and come hang out and see this happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was fun. It was definitely an internship, so you know, there's a lot of like coffee and copies and stuff like yeah. that. But it's definitely it's something that no matter what job interview I'm doing, uh, you know, when I'm looking for a gig, it always gets brought up. Like, there's a few things that always get brought up, and it's like that SNL and usually Gethard if the person is cool. Those are like the big three things. Yeah, it's just kind of like washing over me the magic of Sesame Street right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, I know. Uh, and just getting to be there, just getting to come in and see stuff. I mean, that's, that's yeah. really it, a special. It thing. was really cool. It was a really fun thing. Yeah. When you were bouncing around to different places, what was the sort of idea? I mean, because there was, aside from what I've already mentioned, there was also Above Average. Yeah. Uh, so when you're going to all of these different places, um, is it all internships pretty much? Or was some of it like uh, a, an actual job? And regardless of whether it's a job or not, since they were of, of different worlds, uh, some mm -hmm. comedy, some news, um, were what was the idea that you were, what was the track you were trying to get on at that time? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know. That was the whole thing was I didn't know. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, you know, I still don't know what I want to do, even though I'm like so far into it. It's like, yeah, I like the thing I'm doing now and I really enjoy it, but it might lead to something else. And that was even right. like, you know, it was sort of whoever I thought was cool and could get me, uh, you know, doing something that I liked doing. But, you know, CNBC was an outlier because that was news and that was not really what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something production related comedy related something in that world mm -hmm. but cnbc the great thing about cnbc and it was really fun there and i like a lot of people there but it was not what i was into like i just didn't you know it didn't resonate yeah. with me but it helped it was one of the things that got my foot in the door for the snl interview because it's both nbc right so it, it's one of those things where even though it was not ideal on the track the job track it still did get me to something that was more ideal you know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So those were those were intern the my the internships I did in school were SNL, CNBC, above average, Sesame, and UCB theater. I I did an internship there too. Okay. Um, uh, and I don't know how all much while, you can... all while in school and doing Gethard. So it was it was Wild. a busy couple of years. Yeah, because SNL, that's not an internship for the summer. No. Yeah, no, I was there. Shoot during the summer. Yeah, I know. I I was there. Uh, I was there for a season and a half. I was there from like December 2012 to May 2014. Like it was like three semesters. I I did, and I was in the post department. So I was not like in the writers' world, but it was kind of better because I think the writers interns as a whole mostly they sort of get cycled through a lot, where it's mm -hmm. just like. You're, you're the intern, you know, like you're the stereotypical intern. You're making us copies. Hey, I need a lunch. Go buy me lunch. Like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas I was in post and we sort of just got to like 
hang around and like do we would like record the rehearsals and put them up on a server for people to watch and like hang out in the control room creative development yeah totally which Mm. was cool it was very cool to like you know you're not you're not doing the the grunt work you're like you know they had this whole system that we would do where we would sit in the control room record all the rehearsals upload them to a server so like the cast and the writers could go watch them back to like see how they were going and see what they could cut. And, you know, just, it was a very interesting way to just see how it works on a macro level. Right. Um, you know, wh- how, how that show is actually put together. It's uh, unreal that that show was put yeah. together in a week. I mean, the, such I a huge crew and, and I know it's, I'm sure somebody would say, well, they can do it all in a week because they have such a large crew, but the larger yeah. the crew the more you have to get people in line. That has to be, I mean, talk about a a well-oiled machine. That's got to be like a clock. That's got to be like a watch. And I mean, it's also like less than a week because the read-through's on Wednesday. So they really don't (laughs) even know what they're doing until Wednesday. It's insane. The show should be overhauled and they should figure out a better way to make it work. (laughs) Just because like it works in the 70s when you're all on cocaine. And I know this is not a hot take. I know a lot of people say this, but like, there's so many easier ways you can make that show work, but I think it's one of those things where it's like, this is the tradition. This is the way we do it. You know, this is how it works. <laughs> That's why um, so many people who they asked the host have said no, because it's, yeah. an, it's yeah. like anxiety inducing. Absolutely. And, so many and you get who've done it, have not gone back because of that reason. They yes. were like, Hey, I did the thing, but it's something I, I don't know how people do. <laughs> yeah. And you get burned out. It takes a really specific type of person. Like I know a lot of people who are still there and like, you see who makes it and you see who doesn't last because, you know, it's a crazy schedule. Right. You don't have a life. Like your friends mm-hmm. are the people you work with because those are the people you're with, you know, from 9 a.m. to 4 a.m., like four nights a week. Like it's just, it's insane all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, a, it was a really positive experience. I was there for a lot of cool stuff and got to, you know, hang around. And during the show, we didn't have anything to do. So a lot of times I would just go down to like, the backstage area where they're doing like makeup and stuff and just like lean up against a wall and watch the show from back there. And it was like, you know, crazy watching, you know, uh, geez, what happened? Well, like Stefan, the Stefan goodbye with Seth Myers, like when oh, Seth wow. was leaving and then like watching them do that and then turning and seeing them walk out of the studio on screen and then through a door next to me. And it's just like, this is, if the camera was like six inches oh, wow. to the left, like, Oh, I'm in the shot. You need to watch out. But it was Holy so wild, you know, it's just, yeah. it's weird being on these things that you've seen for years, like, you know, Sesame and SNL, where it's like, those things are such huge parts of so many people's lives. And then getting yeah. to work on it at such a young age was wild. That must have yeah. been that, that moment that you described of watching them perform and you're watching on the screen, and then they walk through a door that's right next yeah. to you. So it's, that's, that had to have been super surreal to see. It like, breaks your brain. Yeah. Because like, okay, yeah. television, the way I always see them. Yes. And then they walk off camera and usually I just don't know what happens. And now, oh, they're yeah. right next to me. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, where's the after party again? And you're like, wait a second. No, you're on TV. You're a TV man. Why are you talking about real life stuff? You know? <laughs> That's got to be bizarre. And part of, for the people who do have to work with the stars directly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that's gotta be a part of what they want the employee to be able to handle because how, of course you can't, you can't every week just be freaking out because Robert De Niro's there or whoever. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And it is definitely something where like, 
I sort of got normalized to it, even though I was not directly involved with a lot of like the big stuff on that show, just being around it for a year and a half, like it sort of just becomes second nature. And I'm still like remembering stories or things that happened from there Mm -hmm. where like I go to tell someone it and they're like, that's insane that you were, you know, around for that thing. And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. I guess it is. I was there. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It was work at some point. It was, yeah. I've often thought that Lorne Michaels has the best job in the world, but also the worst job in the world, because I love mm-hmm. SNL. I like watching it on Saturday nights live. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't like watching yeah. it Sunday morning. Even. Same, 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 um, same. But it's his job. <laughs> so he's also got all the stress of putting that show on. So yeah. when he's sitting and watching, like his seat, just watching the show, I would love to have, but I wouldn't want the position, I don't think. I know. <laughs> it's 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 an impossible job. I mean, it's one of those things where it makes nobody happy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, or not not nobody. It will not it will never make everybody happy. And I think that's yeah. a very hard thing to reckon with. But I imagine after 50 years, you're just like, this is the show I want to put on, or this is the show that the people who work here want to put on. So I guess this is what we're doing. You know, yeah. sorry it doesn't make you happy. There's I mean, that's one of the things I think a lot of times there's always a reckoning that's going mm-hmm. on. And a lot of people talk about the reckoning that happens online with uh questioning systemic problems or work issues and things like that. But that's a conversation that's been going on for decades. It's not a new conversation. Oh, of course. um, You know, it is a sort of thing where people, this, this is a constant conversation, I imagine, in the SNL world, because every few years, someone's like, why do they... Why do they do it that way if it's so stressful? Um, But... You know, they're people who want to do it. Yeah. You yeah. don't have to and do it. Yes. It's one of those things where that's what you signed up for. Mm-hmm. You know? Like you knew you know what this is going into it. And and <laughs> it's, it's hard show. to com it's a live show that's very stressful all week. It's hard to complain about when it's like, well, I mean, this is what it's always been. It's not like this was sprung on you. You know? Right, right. Uh, and it's not for everybody. I don't know. I was, you know, I've been very lucky over the years to work at the places I have, but it's definitely, it shows you how stressful the industry and the world is and uh, or that, that world, not all well, the world in general too, but right, you know what right, I mean? Of course. Um, uh, but you know, li- there's nothing like, there's nothing like live TV. It's, it's I the know. best. It's, so it's the best. So it's, yeah. yeah. And so you were there for a year and a half. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know what stories you're, uh, that, <laughs> Stories that maybe you don't think are wild, but other people think are that you can tell. Do you have any other? Oh, geez. I mean, you know, it was just like, it was a weird time because I was there for like, I don't know about stories so much as just moments that experience where it was like Bill Hader and Fred Armisen and Seth Meyers last episodes. And then like seeing like John Goodman coming back to host after so long. And like Justin Timberlake, the crazy, the craziest thing was Justin Timberlake doing the five timers club sketch. Uh, yeah. when he hosted for the fifth time because like it was so just jealous. A, so jealous you it were was, there for that. It, it was a deranged week where you just look around uh and it's like Tom Hanks, Baldwin, Steve Martin, Martin Short, Dan Aykroyd, Chevy, Paul Dan Simon. Uh you know, yeah, and then and then you get so excited for all those and then you look and that was for me. I looked and I saw Candace Bergen and that was my holy shit moment where I was like, <laughs> holy shit, that's Candace Bergen. 
That's yeah. Candace Bergen. Like yeah, that was like the craziest one. The first one. Five timers. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But that was the craziest one for me where I was like, oh yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's Chevy Chase. Okay, great. But then I was like, oh my God, Candace Bergen. <laughs> um, I, I remember when I saw that episode and yeah. uh, my roommate, one of my good friends, uh, he was like, I partly want to watch this to see you react to this. I know. I know. Because <laughs> when Candace Bergen came on and went, ooh. I know because it it had also been it had been so long since she was there I don't think she had I want to say it was like 91 was the last time she hosted it was like very I yeah it was like very early you know late 80s early 90s Murphy Brown era Mm -hmm. um but yeah I mean that was the wildest one just because everywhere you looked was someone obnoxiously famous and obnoxiously (laughs) funny and it was just like yeah it was it was wild um but that was the other fun thing about like, you never knew because we weren't in the writer's area. We didn't necessarily know who was showing up until like maybe a day before or something oh, wow. like that. Yeah. So like you would just be walking. Then it was like, Oh, there's Aaron Paul dressed up as Jesse Pinkman or like, <laughs> what is he doing here? Why is he here? Or like, you know, just random, random people. Uh, random because Rodman, they were hosting. And then it's like, yeah. why are they doing a sketch about this? Okay, I think cool. Dennis Rodman was there and like Liam Neeson did something just what? like very weird, <laughs> very weird stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. It's a very, it's kind of a blur. Truly, I haven't thought about the fact that Dennis Rodman was there until right now. Like, it's oh, wow, been like yeah. six or seven years and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about Because it was like <laughs> during the whole him being friends with Kim Jong-un thing and oh, just like, wow. it, he like did some cold open or something. But yeah, there's so many things that you forget about the insane things that happened. Right, for sure. Yeah. It was, Especially it was, when it it's was happening weird. so often. I mean, that's what's what you always hear about New York City and Los Angeles is that there are so many celebrities that yeah. the average person is just kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. That's George Clinton. Yeah. He lives yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to the to the tourists, it's like, oh, my God. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of my thing now is doing talent stuff. So, it's sort of. Right it is sort of just getting like desensitized to it where it's, you know, every week or whatever, you're seeing someone who is one of your favorite people or like someone that you really admire. Right. And you just have to, it's a, it's a normal thing. They're here to do a job. You're doing your job. You shake their hand, talk to them and make them, you know, comfortable. And that's kind of the whole, it's kind of the whole thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely could rock with just seeing someone famous that I've seen my whole life because then it's like, yeah, there are a couple of people I might get starstruck from that I'm not sure someone that I'm a big fan of. Like Madonna, yeah. I pay a ton of attention to, but I yeah, imagine totally. if she walks in the room, I would be a little starstruck. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. when it's if it's like Conan O'Brien walked in, totally. I, how do I just act normal? I mean, when I started booking Ascat, it was Alan Alda and Mark Hamill. Those were the two where it was like, holy shit. Like <laughs> that's yeah. Alan Alda, you know? Yeah. And, uh, just getting to see and, and on Gethard, it was like that all the time, you know, like Will Ferrell or whatever. Like <laughs> yeah. there's so many people where it's just, it's, it's, it's weird to see someone who you've always seen as a two dimensional person on a TV to then all of a sudden be directly in front of you, looking you in the eyes and ha- you have to talk to them. Like it's such a weird experience <laughs> and you have to talk to them when they're like, Hey Patrick, where's the bathroom? Like that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Just uh, normal everyday stuff. 
I saw, and I love that I saw it this way. I went, I was in the office at Late Show once, mm-hmm. and to meet with a producer. Mm-hmm. And um, we walk up the the person who went to get me walked me up the stairs, and I just yeah. walked to the top of the stairs and looked up, and there was Stephen Colbert, one of my of heroes, one of my absolute yeah. heroes. I'm South Carolina native, you know. Yeah. Of course, I love yeah. him. And he's walking by, and like we didn't make eye contact. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just saw him, and he was just a dude walking it's in the office, scratching an itch. Like, he literally, yeah. like, scratched an itch and was just looking yeah. at something. And I was just like, I'm glad that I saw this. Of course. The, you know, the humanizing the, moments are the best. The yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the time you yeah. want to see these people because yeah. you don't want to put people too much on a pedestal. You don't want to get into celebrityism, especially in, in your line of work. Yeah, or the the kind of work that I'd love to get, uh, because you got to be able to just talk to them. And if you're sitting there like shaking, like, oh, what, yeah. what, what do you want for lunch? Then yeah. you're going to be like feeling weird. And, and of course, not and it's be there. one of those things where it's a learned skill. Like you get, you just mm-hmm. have to get used to it. You know, when I was younger, I'm sure it was different. I'm sure it was not as. I'm sure it was not. I've always been pretty good at keeping my composure about that kind of stuff, but like. I'm sure it has gotten better, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the fun things are just like talking to them about banal, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear about what it was like filming Anchorman. Just like, right. What's how, you know, uh, did what's in your hotel room? Like, where are you staying? <laughs> what's going on? Like that kind of stuff. It's yeah. so much more fun. Oh, um, yeah. And I or find like that more interesting. Just having a normal conversation and laughing totally. about whatever you're talking about. Or, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Human moments, human interactions yeah. like that. That's yeah. uh that's really key. And uh I mean I've heard a lot of celebrities talk about how they would prefer that to mm-hmm. getting their picture taken. Yeah. You know, just because yeah. they actually are connecting with this person. They just think it's nicer, you know. Um yeah. not that they are against the pictures all the time, but no, it's a you know, it's part of the gig. Right, right. But you know, sometimes you have a just a nice conversation with somebody that's yeah. meaningful to both of them. Totally. Totally. Um, let's talk about working at Ask Cat. So you were there six years working yeah. as a talent booker for Ask Cat 3000. For those who don't know, at UCB Theater, the flagship show is this yeah. improv show where someone comes in, tells a story uh, that they get a suggestion from the audience and they just say, well, that makes me think of this story and they start telling that mm-hmm. story and then the improvisers do scenes based off of that story and they go back and forth with that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so since UCB is such a big theater, you were getting a bunch of big names, like you mentioned, Mark Hamill coming in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is the ask hard when it's a show like Ask Hat since UCB has such a reputation of being a big deal. Was it tough to get people like John Hamm or someone like that to come in? Uh, no, it was. Well, well, yes. I mean, I, if you looked at how many emails I sent over that time versus how many people actually did it, it would appear hard, Ah. but then you get the surprising people who say yes. And I'm fine sending a hundred emails and having three people say yes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's just part of the gig at this point. Um, but it's fun trying my whole thing with that show, uh, which is not going on anymore because UCB does not exist in New York anymore, but we right. are, I should, I should put this in right now. This is the perfect time to talk about it. On August 1st, we're starting up at Caveat Theater through the Squirrel, 
we're doing a show. It's the same thing as ASCAD. It'll be the same cast, same show. Uh, we're calling it Rat Scraps, which we like. We think it's a fun title. Um, so we're starting it back up again. So it'll be interesting to see the difference there. But um, very cool with a show. Yeah, with a show like that, it had such a pedigree because it had been going on for 22, 23 years, something like that. Some insanely long amount of time. And so many people would perform in it. And so many uh, people had told monologues at it that like using those names really helped being able to say like kevin bacon's done this show are you better than kevin bacon you know what i mean just like (laughs) it's hard for people to say no where they're like well you know i like meredith vieira and if she did it i can do it you know that kind of thing yeah yeah i also if if you say yes to the show you're the kind of person i want doing the show if you're having reservations or like not wanting to do the show i I don't want you there you know what i mean like you're not gonna have fun their arm yeah yeah you're not gonna have fun so why do i want you to do it i want you to be there to have fun and to give into it and just like speak freely and and be a real person that's that's what you wanted Mm -hmm. um so it wasn't hard necessarily uh i always i didn't book as many comedians as i think people expected there to be Comedians meaning like stand-ups or whatever. I always tried to get, I wanted like the weirdo character actors or like the New York Times reporter or like the, you know, um, a, a film editor or something like that. I wanted someone who you don't necessarily hear stuff from. And then every so often Alan Alda comes through. You know what I mean? Like right, right. You, you get cool people, but I also wanted some name that you've seen a ton, but you've never heard from this person. Right. You know? Right. That's cool. Um, yeah, that was always my my go-to. And I you know, I, I think it was like 550 shows or something like that by the time I finished cuz we would do two a week. Um yeah, for like six years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Basically every week. Um So yeah, I I I always wanted different types of people, people that you wouldn't see at any other comedy show, preferably people who uh weren't comedians, weren't necessarily funny. I just wanted a real story. I didn't want you up there telling your your tight five for Letterman. Like, right. it, 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 it's hard for them to make jokes off of jokes. Yeah. So I just want to hear about, you know, uh, here's a good one. Bradley Whitford did it. And yeah. he told a story about his dog eating sushi and how he had to like pry it out of its mouth or something <laughs> like that. Like it was just like, or, uh, yeah, su- sushi. No, not sushi. Salmon, salmon. Uh-huh. He ate salmon and he had to like pull it out of its mouth and he like got down on the ground and was like at fully acting it out. And I was like, this is perfect. This is, it's yeah. not a funny story. It's just like, this is what you thought of. This is uh you're fully committed to it. You're telling the story. It's like you're at a fun party and you're just talking to people. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's what we wanted. Yeah. Who were some of the people that, are like a name that people has heard a lot, but it's not like a big name. Two people that I loved having were Bobby and Christina Lopez, who wrote the music for like Frozen mm. and like Coco, and he did Avenue Q. But he yeah. has a double egot. He has two egots. That's right. Which is insane. Right. And he's like so young. <laughs> um but they're they're people where it's like you see their name on everything. And if you watch the award shows, you see them. But, right. like, you may not have ever heard them talk beyond, like, I want to thank the Academy. <laughs> you know, thank you Absolutely, so much to my reps. They're not, like, they're not on the talk yeah. shows a bunch. Yeah. They, they but then Christina comes in. Yeah. yeah. And then Christina comes in and talks about going Halloween, uh, you know, going, uh, uh, doing Halloween as a kid, like stuff like that, where it's just like interesting things, yeah. not talking about Olaf the snowman, talking about other stuff in their lives. <laughs> right. Um, they right. were great. That sounds uh, like the attitude I take with asking people to be on this podcast. 
Yeah. It's like, I want to yeah. pick this person's brain because they're interesting. Totally. Yeah, it's more, it's more fascinating to me. Um, and it's more, I think it's better from an audience standpoint because the bigger you get, unless you're a certain type of person, I think the more guarded you are and the more like safe your stories are, the more like, I don't want this thing to get out there, even though it's a little embarrassing to me. I don't want to tell 200 people it. Whereas if you're like a guy who did six episodes on the blacklist and just like, is like a working character actor, you'll be like, yeah, I, I got into a bad car wreck when I was a kid and it was my fault, you know, like just like (laughs) talking about some story that does not make you look good, but you're still able to like, give all the details and like tell this whole story without your, your publicist getting worried that right. like, Oh, you gosh, know, yeah. yeah. It's going to get leaked to some blind item thing or whatever. Oh you know? yeah. I mean, Jennifer Aniston, how's she going to yeah. be able to talk it, her team into her telling an off the cuff story? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I think what? that scared, that scared some people because you know, they're not, you see the word improv and if you're if you're like a guy if you're an author or whatever who like does not do a lot of public speaking you're like i can't do improv i'm not i'm not that yeah. guy like you don't want me here and i'm like but i don't want you to do improv i just want you to talk about you <laughs> right. that's all i want like just tell me some weird story uh so i think it's daunting for a lot of people and i totally understand when people say no oh, yeah. or if they're like this just isn't my bag like it's fine i get it I mean, those are the um, same answers. I before I left South Carolina, I was on a team that did the Armando, did that form yeah, that yeah, Ascat yeah. does, and we would the the cast members would book the people, and yeah. there were a couple of people who were known in town that sure. I asked because I worked with them, and they were both really uneasy about the idea, and yeah. they never did it, and it was for that reason of like, well, sure. I don't want to. Uh, performs like you don't have to perform it's like well yeah. I, I just don't know if, if it's all of that concern of how yeah. much can they expose publicly totally and there there have been a bunch of people over the years where they were like i don't want to do this but i'm going to do it just to like get myself out there and like try this because i'm never going to get asked to do this again so like might as well try it <laughs> and then after the first story they'll come up to me and be like uh uh i'm so happy i did that like yeah. it you why, why would I have not wanted to do that? Um, uh, and it's always very nice to yeah. hear that. The yeah. fact that they like, you know, uh, took that chance, took that risk, and then it paid off for them and for me, obviously. Yeah, for sure. How much of that role and other roles similar to that, how much of that preparation is you walking them through it and how much of that is calming them down? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it. On the day, it's a lot of it. And it was, you know, it was like that for Ascat. It was like that. It's like that for Lucas. It's like that for Gethard Show when it was right. live and stuff like that. Like there's every, everything is that. Explaining, a lot of my job is explaining to reps or to the people themselves what the show is. Because those three shows are known in their circles and if you are a fan of that show, you are very much a fan of that show. You are a hardcore fan of those shows, those three shows. <laughs> yeah. But if you've never heard of them, they, it does not mean anything to you. <laughs> so like uh, a big part of the show is definitely like, okay, here's what this is. Here's how this works. We walk you through it. We make it as easy as possible for you. You don't have to worry about anything. It's truly a um, well-oiled machine at this point. Like 
we make it super easy. We've done this before. I promise you, we do this every week. We will not make you look bad. Like that is kind of mm-hmm. the thing that we have to talk them through where it's like, mm-hmm. I, I did not invite you here. So you get embarrassed. Like if you get embarrassed, I'm sad and it makes me look bad. Right. So I don't want that for you. So I'm also looking out for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't want you to talk to your friends who I'm asking to do the show. And then you're like, Oh no, I had a bad time. Like that's right. the last thing I want because then it right. makes my job so much harder. I'm only makes asking it sound because like, oh, I know like, you can do it. Yes. I know you can do it. And I know that if you actually try and actually uh, like put in the small amount of work I'm asking, you will have a good time. If you come in hostile or like not happy to be there, you're not going to have a good time. And there's nothing we can do about that. Right. So like just come in, relax, have fun. And you're going to be good. And I, it's so rare that on those shows, I think the person did not leave having a good time. I, I could probably count on under two hands out of the hundreds and hundreds of shows, like the time when someone left and I was like, mm, okay, I guess I'm never talking to them again because like, <laughs> I'm embarrassed that you did not have a good time, you know? Yeah. And sometimes so. that's just their anxiety about the situation and it's Absolutely. anything else, you know? And that's... yeah. That's tough. It's tough to have that, yeah. to to uh, work in this industry with that anxiety. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. But I'm happy they try. I'm happy they tried it. Right. Was yeah. the George Lucas talk show the first time you were working on something from its inception? Uh, out of these things, because I guess Ascat was already around, and yeah, Christopher, yeah, I guess you so. Were, you know, coming in. Yeah, early. I. Lucas started in 2014, and on the first show, I was the uh, warm-up comic. Inadvertently, I was not planned to be the warm-up comic, but I showed up, and Connor said to me, hey, so-and-so can't make it. I need you to warm up the crowd. And I was like, no, that's not what I do. I don't want to do that at all. Uh, But he made me do it. And then I took a little bit of time off. I took probably like four months off just because he didn't ask me to work on it. So like it was one of those things where I was just like not you know, going to – do anything and that was fine uh but then i started showing up and this was back it was at ucb uh theater at that point i guess it was in the east village in the uh, ucb east space um started showing up started just helping him on the show and then a couple months into it he was talking with me and someone else and he introduced me to them and he goes oh this is patrick he's my producer and i was like what are you talking about no i'm not like <laughs> he goes yeah you're my producer and i'm like you need to tell me these things <laughs> like you can't just assume i'm your producer i want to be yes that sounds great but i had no idea um so i was an exception but i you know it's been going 2014 i think we're on our like seventh year at this point uh and i was there for six and a half of them you know oh, so yeah, it's yeah, been yeah. going a while and it's gone through i should explain what it is to people it's a it's a talk show where comedian Connor Ratliff uh, plays George Lucas and Griffin Newman from the Tick and from Blank Check podcast plays this character Watto, who's a CGI character in the Star Wars prequels. And they interview uh, regular people, or, you know, actors, comedians, whatever, as as themselves. Um, so it's truly like you're going on The Tonight Show, except Jimmy Fallon is 75-year-old retired billionaire filmmaker George Lucas. Um, and the sidekick is not Steve Higgins, but yes, an but a an anti-Semitic <laughs> slave trading alien, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, and it's gone through you know it's gone through a lot of changes. It was at UCB East, and then it went to Hell's Kitchen, and sort of became like a little bit bigger of a show. And now, since the pandemic, 
up until a few months ago, we took a, we took a little time off right now. Um, it's been a live streaming show. It was every week and we would, uh, do fundraisers and, you know, like so many people were on, we had Kevin Smith on, we had Leah Thompson, we had Whoopi Goldberg, just like insane yeah. people come on this show. It's very weird. Didn't it's very strange. Kathleen Kennedy on the show? We did not. I wish we had oh, Kathleen Kennedy. I thought Kennedy. I saw that somewhere. Man, I, thought, I wish. I thought I saw um, someone who actually worked on Star Wars was a guest. Well, I mean, there have been uh, Ahmed Best who played Jar Jar Banks was on it. Like, there's like a lot of people who have done, you know, worked for Lucasfilm or in the movie Julian Glover, who is the bad guy in Last Crusade and was General Veers in Star Wars, like a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So there have been people. Um, they're not people who yeah. are necessarily as directly involved with Lucas. Who yeah, maybe not directly involved or still working for the company. It's a little, it gets a little dicey to have people yeah. on when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a super fun thing. During the pandemic, when it went uh, digital, I also became like an on camera part of it, an on camera co host, you know, whatever part of it, which was definitely a big change for me because I was never a personality, as we discussed. It was always a behind the scenes thing. Um, but I'm glad that I did it because I think it helped me not go insane this last year and, uh, getting to talk to, you know, insane amount of cool, crazy people who thankfully agreed to come on and do the show has been, has been uh, a blessing, a true blessing. At this stage, what is the role that you have? I mean, obviously for some of the things we were talking about, it was sort of like, the duties around the office that has to get done. And it's not a creative necessarily role, but now you're more involved with the creative end game. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. What what does your job entail? Yeah. I mean, for that one, uh, it was booking the show each week and the show would at minimum, this might scare people away, but I don't want it to. At minimum, it was four hours each week, and we would have at minimum like three guests a week. But then there were some weeks where we would do fundraisers. So we would, um, for example, one week we watched all of Aaron Sorkin's TV show Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Oh, wow, yeah. And and had people who worked on the show come on. And I think we had 68 people from the show on the live stream throughout the day. Wow. So the majority of my job is just like coordinating that. And like yeah. trying to get, you know, A, book the people, B, coordinate times, C, like send them all the info they need, try to catch them up. Because for a lot of those shows, they're coming in like 13 hours into a live stream. Uh, so we can't like talk to them off the air. It's literally just like being dry. It's it's that guy from Dr. Strangelove riding the bomb out of the plane directly into our show and they're just dropped in and they got to figure it out on the fly. Like that's truly what it is, uh, which is scary, but so many people, uh, did it. And it was like, it's just very funny hearing certain, something that always brought me joy on that show was having some revered actor or director or something just say, yeah, Watto, that's true. That's a great point. Just like fully like committing and just <laughs> acting as if the, you know, the things that are happening in front of them are really what's happening or like, or like Steven Tobolowsky was on great character actor in hundreds of things. 
and would just be like, well, George, you remember, I came to your 50th birthday party up at Skywalker Ranch and like telling a real story about going to George Lucas's birthday party and just like fully straight facing me like you and I, we talked to Harrison for a really long time. I'm, you know, I'm sure you remember that. And just like people really coming on, wanting to play, fully getting invested in it, but also like having a good conversation and like talking about stuff that they never would have talked about. Like so many people from Studio 60 have not spoken about Studio 60 since 2007, you know, when that show went off the air. Absolutely. Because I imagine it was kind of a heartbreaking thing for a lot of them. Yeah, of course. It was was being presented as the new prestige show from Aaron Sorkin. And it was, yes, it it was the show that NBC was putting all their marketing money into, it seemed. Yeah. Came out the same year as 30 Rock. 30 Rock is a show everyone knows about. Yeah. Studio 60 lasted the one season. Yeah. And so that must have been gut-wrenching for a lot of them. I'm sure. Yeah, because you think it's your big break. You know, we had, like, I think it probably is the largest oral history of that show that will ever happen, you know, just because so many people were on to talk about it. And we didn't have Sorkin or Bradley Whitford or Matt Perry, but we had, like, Stephen Weber and Nate Cordry and Tim Busfield and, uh, you know, Christine Lottie and, like, a ton of the writers and directors and costume designers and editors and just, like, so many people involved in it in different ways. So you truly got to hear every single for for people who are watching, who don't know how the sausage is made, the TV sausage is made. It was really a masterclass in people being like, well, I would start, I would get the script on Monday and then I would start making the costumes. Cause we'd have to shoot on Wednesday and just like getting to hear every single piece of it throughout the day from so many people. I think I'm, I'm, it's the thing I'm the most proud of from this last year, just because like, I, I like that show a lot even though I yeah. understand the flaws, but getting so many people to come together to talk about something on such a dumb, <laughs> such a dumb show, such a dumb platform. And then we also raised like $30,000 for Broadway cares that day. So like, it was like yeah. a, you know, there's, it's a win, win, win for everybody. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. So That's my, tough. my job to get back to your question, my job is like booking, wrangling, getting them mm-hmm. on the show, making sure they show up on the show. And then just, kind of sitting back and letting the uh, boulder roll down the hill because at yeah. a certain point, there's not much you can do. And it's just like, this is going and and we can't change much, you know? So right. have fun, hop on and see what, see, see if you can hang on with us. <laughs> and how different was that role, the role you had at the president show? Uh, you were a talent coordinator. So was it basically the same thing where you're just wrangling everybody? Yeah, it was mostly wrangling. Um, I booked a couple people there. I was only there for like eight months, maybe six to eight mm-hmm. months. I was there in between Gethard seasons, you know, between season two and three. So I just had, you know, nothing to do for a while. And that show was starting up and I'm buddies with a and Peter gross. And like all these people who were doing it because a Tamanick's first time being Donald Trump, trying out the impression was at ASCAT. So it was one of those things where it was like kind of a full circle thing where it was like, Oh great. Now I get to work on this. Um, so I booked a couple people for it, but then it was mostly just like wrangling, being around, doing paperwork, uh, you know, getting them ready in the green room, walking them out to the, you know, prepping them for the interview, walking them out to the set and then uh, getting yes. them in a car and sending them home, you know, all yeah. that fun stuff. Uh, fun show. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wild show. Um, wild show. Wild. I mean, are you in the MCU now or is that, is that <laughs> when you work at Marvel, can you say that you are in the MCU? You know, I'm on the I'm on the Marvel Cinematic Universe wiki. I I don't think I am in technically in the MCU, but uh, 
I, I'm I'm sure again, much like SNL, if you move the camera six inches, I'd probably be over there. You know? <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in that I'm in the Thanos fight at the end of Endgame. I just never show up on camera. That's you know <laughs> right I, off camera. Yeah, I'm right off camera. It's like <laughs> okay. me and Howard the Duck. We're just like we're fighting one guy the whole time, but we're mostly just chatting. That's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. But your role there is editorial and talent producer. So what does that entail? And and I see that it's for Marvel, but um, mm-hmm. how does it work with Marvel? Because there's obviously so many divisions. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of Marvel. Um, I'm I'm the booker for their, uh, it's mostly new media world uh, in New York. Um, so it's like their podcasts or video stuff that they put out on their social media. And in, you know, normal times we would go to all the premieres and all the comic cons and do live streams uh, from the red carpet or just like over the weekend at San Diego comic con and just have a bunch of people come up and be interviewed. Mm-hmm. So it was again, just like booking mass amounts of, of guests and then like getting uh, them to come do like stuff. Like doing the press junket sort of. Yeah. Kind of press or... junkety stuff. Okay. Um, or just like, uh, Oh, this writer is at San Diego. Let's have them come up for a seven minute interview in the Marvel booth or like, you know, it could be a guy who's writing Thor or it could be like James Marsters who played Buffy on or not Buffy, uh, played Spike on Buffy. Mm-hmm. Like just anyone I could grab who was tangentially related to Marvel or had an interest in Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, which was great because you got to, you know, you got to have a lot of cool like voice actors and actors and and uh, comic book writers and artists and, you know, whoever, whoever I could grab uh, was great. But then, you know, we'd go to the premieres and and do the the live stream interviews with the actors as they were like walking into the premiere, which was very cool. So getting to go to that end game premiere and watch it in the same room with like everybody who worked on the movie and every actor and stuff. And, you know, it's a very, it's a very surreal experience. It's a very strange thing, but, uh, very fun. Yeah. I mean, uh, the stuff that the surreal stuff that you've been able to see and be around. I know. Um, I know. It's a weird life. (laughs) <laughs> How many times did you see that movie in the theater? Endgame? Yeah. I saw it at the premiere. I saw a Marvel screening with everyone at work in New York. Maybe four? Okay. How, so four. how many normal audiences did you see it? Uh, just, just fans? Maybe two. Okay. Maybe one or two. One or two. I saw it twice in the theater. And once was with a normal audience. Mm-hmm. And so everyone was going insane. Like it was like opening weekend, and so yeah. all the moments that hit hit real big. Yeah. Um, but then my girlfriend saw it. She saw it late because she was like out of town or something when the mm-hmm. weekend it came out. So a couple weeks later, we go to see it, and it was kind of like maybe not the time that a bunch of people pack a theater to. Sure. So there weren't a bunch of people in the theater. And it was a bunch of people, the people who were there weren't like getting a lot of the inside stuff. Sure, sure, sure. So it was yeah. a super weird experience to, yeah. it was night and day. And I'm curious, I bring it up because I'm wondering how an audience experience with fans differs from being with the crew and the stars who are all very I'm going to say this, not much. Yeah, that's cool. Not much. That's cool. It was cool. It was very cool. It was they all went nuts. They went nuts for everything. And it was so much fun to just look over like 
I was seated sort of in the middle of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. That was uh-huh. like where my seat just happened to be, the ABC show. And they were going crazy. And then looking over and you, it's like everywhere you looked was someone so famous or yeah. like someone so famous in the Marvel world where it's just like, oh, there's the writers for, you know, they've done all of these and stuff like that. But everyone went crazy. You know, uh, Black Panther walks out of the the. Yeah. Um, Everyone freaks out. Like, even though so many of them, I mean, so many of them knew what was coming, but so many of them didn't still, even if you work on like, if you're you're Gwyneth Paltrow and you show up for a day in that, I imagine you don't know what happens throughout that entire movie. She didn't even realize she was in a (laughs) Spider-Man movie, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Because... Uh, how, maybe, how the production maybe happened. bad example maybe bad example <laughs> but yeah <laughs> um yeah it was uh it was a wild experience i don't think it'll ever happen again just because there's so many people in that movie so many mm-hmm. it felt like the culmination of so much and just uh you know everyone was so excited to be there it felt like if something happened in that room hollywood's decimated you know like <laughs> yeah, yeah. because everyone's there from like from you know Kevin Smith to Robert Downey Jr. to Colin Jost because he's there with Scarlet to like you know there's just everyone was there it was wild it was yeah. truly it was wild and it's uh it, it's one of those things that I think back on uh, mid quarantine being like will that ever happen again <laughs> will I ever have a movie experience like that again and that's the one I keep going back to just because it was so it was how uh, could how could it happen again how could it how could it? Who knows? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, amazing stories. This has been really fun talking to you. We're now at the end of the episode, though. It's time yeah. to create something together. And since I uh, have uh, been booking this podcast for a while, I'm wondering from a, a, a pro- super professional <laughs> expert, uh, some tips. I mean, what I mm. do when I oftentimes when I book someone, especially someone in comedy, I look to yeah. see who they're connected with, who sure. I have had on the podcast before. So then sure. when I say, hey, I'd love to talk to you, I've talked to these people, it's all people that they are no. connected with in some respect. Of course. So that seems like a good idea, but what are other? What are some other ideas for booking people and having a smooth transition? I, I mean, like I mentioned before, the thing that I always liked was maybe getting people who don't necessarily get to chat all the time about this kind of stuff. The people, the people who you like, who maybe not everyone knows about yet are always fun because there's so many times where I've booked someone and then, you know, like, uh, someone like, um, like Z way where like I booked her years ago for something. And then like, now she's the hottest thing in the world. Like uh, Aquafina, I booked for something and, and it was like a tough sell to some people because they were like, we don't really know who she is. And then like a year and a half later was like the biggest thing in the world. You know? Yeah. Um, I think that's always exciting. And I think that's cool where it's like, I respect this person. I think they should be out there and you get really lucky sometimes where it's like, Oh yeah, they, they deserve it and they got it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important for you too, as a host, just to like, keep it interesting for you is, you know, this is all obvious stuff I'm saying, I think, but, um, it keeps it interesting because it's who you want to hear from. And I think that that is huge, uh, just to keep yourself invested in the show. Um, Mm. it was definitely what kept me invested in ask. I was just like, these are the people I want. 
you know, I'm, I, it's great. I hope the audience likes it, but truly I'm booking it for me. And I really hope <laughs> other people appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good thing going through and telling them, you know, hey, here are your friends who have done it. Um, uh, but at the same time, also like just shoot big sometimes, you know, maybe not like a list, but like shoot bigger than you think you can get. Yeah. And, and I, it I works out that. sometimes. I, I have learned that one uh, is helpful too, because there are yeah. some people where I was like, well, it's a long shot. And then they like, yeah. give me an immediate yes. And I was like, huh? Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay, great. I'm not yeah, or j- about it. Yeah, exactly. Some people uh, just want to do shit. Some people just yeah. like, like talking and like want to have fun. And I think that that is an important thing to keep in mind is just like, if you see someone doing something fun, on a show or on a, you know, a podcast or whatever. And you're like, Oh, clearly you're enjoying this and you like Mm -hmm. doing these things. Um, I'm going to ask you because why not? Would it also the important thing to keep in mind is what do you have to lose? (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's like, just ask them. It doesn't matter. Just ask them. They're not going to go and tell everybody, Hey, this guy asked me. So run from this guy. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Who cares? No. No. So I think those are those are my big tips, I think. Well, there it is. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Super great. Great talk. I love when there are fun stories and good info on here. Thanks to Patrick again for being on. Here are a few Twitter accounts to check out at Patrick Kotner, at G Lucas Talk Show, and Rat Scraps, the new iteration of ASCAT at ASCAT NYC. That's four S's. They're doing new shows starting on August 1st at Caveat here in New York City, which they're doing a bunch of comedy shows. So also follow them at Caveat NYC. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod and our YouTube at There It Is. Also, go to thereitispod.com to find our best blog, info on how to subscribe to our comedy newsletter, and how to nominate us for the Podcast Awards. Links in bio. Next week, we have legendary improviser Paul Valancourt. It was a great chat. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.